It's December 13th on your Advent calendar, and we're diving deep into salvation history. Stick around. Let's talk about it. Houston, we have a problem. Habemos papan. Podcasting from a parking lot in the Woodlands, Texas, it's the Catholic Hack with Joe McLean. Take this, all of you, and eat it. This is my body, which will be given up for you. 1 Peter 3.15 Always be ready to give an explanation to anyone who asks you for a reason for your hope. Take this, all of you, and drink from it. This is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. It will be shed for you and for all, so that sins may be forgiven. The Church of the Living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. 1 Timothy 3.15 Do this in memory of Welcome back to the Catholic Hack. I'm Joe McLean, and this is the special Advent Calendar Catholic New Media Roundup. Brought to you by Sean and Nancy McGahee. Thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of your Advent calendar. I'll post a link to that calendar off of my blog at www.catholichack.com. But today, we're going to roll up our sleeves and dive deep on the coming of Christ. Oh, mm-hmm. 
to move mountains, able to jump tall buildings in a single bound, to call fire down from heaven. That's what we read in today's first reading from Sirach chapter 48. It's talking about Elijah, and Elijah's almost depicted like a superhero with all this wondrous power. It even talks of his wondrous deeds restoring the true faith of Israel, getting rid of all these priests offering these sacrifices to Baal and false gods. Let's offer the true sacrifice to the true God. So it's very interesting that Elijah is depicted in this way. You can almost sense the longing for this great Messiah to come and save them from all of this chaos that's around them all the time. All of this idolatry and pagan worship infesting the Israelites. And so we see if we skip ahead to the gospel for today, in St. Matthew's gospel, the disciples are coming down from the mountain and they ask Jesus, Jesus, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus says in reply, Elijah will indeed come and restore all things, but I tell you, that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also will the Son of Man suffer at their hands. Then the scribes understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. We're leaving week two, and we're getting into week three of Advent. We're so much closer to the coming of our Lord now. And in this week, We've met John the Baptist now for a second time. We've also met our beloved lady, Mary, immaculately conceived. What a great feast day we celebrated just this week. The immaculate conception of our blessed lady. And these two are linked. They're linked in many great ways, but not the least of which is the fact that both of them help to usher in the coming of the Messiah, the real advent John the Baptist is sent in the spirit of Elijah to make straight the paths before the Lord, to prepare the people, to start baptizing them by water for the repentance of sins. And that's why when Jesus comes and says, you must baptize me for all righteousness, it's because Jesus himself steps into the place and the role of the sinner. Even though he himself has no sin, he steps into the role of the sinner, taking on the sinner's role to be baptized, to turn that into a sacrament. And that's why we see the heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit descend upon him like a dove. And the voice of the Father, this is my Son, Wow, sonship. We enter into the kingdom of God like a child. Just like the baby, the one true king, the king of all kings, lord of all lords, enters into this world, into his kingdom as a child. So must we enter into the kingdom of God like a child. So John the Baptist ushers in the age of the Messiah, just as our blessed lady Brings, she bears the Lord to us. Theotokos, the early church, named her. 
the All-Holy, as the Eastern churches call her. She bears the Savior of the world to us all. And so these two are intimately linked. It's actually a very wonderful thing. But if we're going to dive deep, if we're going to talk about the salvation that is coming to us in the advent of our Lord, we've got to go back, all the way back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 3, how about verse 15? There the Lord walked in the cool of the day, just after Adam and Eve committed their grave offense. And he calls to them, Adam, where are you? Oh no, God God doesn't know where they are. He he doesn't have a clue as to what's happened. What are we going to do? No, 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 no. He knows everything. He knows exactly where they are. And he calls them out. He coaxes them. Like the first recorded confession. He meets them halfway. Almost like the, the father looking for the prodigal son and runs out to meet him. So God goes to meet Adam and Eve and he coaxes them out of the bushes. And he coaxes their confession from them. What have you done? Who told you you were naked? And so then as he begins to dole out the penances, he turns to the woman and he makes this proclamation in verse 15 that's so important for us to understand. That he will put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Between the woman and the serpent, there will be enmity. That is so critical for us. Why? couple things. One, it's pretty unusual to see something there about the seed of a woman. In, in Hebrew culture, you would have really read the seed of the man, not the woman. But to, to have seed of the woman there is pretty telling. It's one of those verses that point us down the road into the future where we see our blessed lady. It is her seed that is the Savior of the world. It is her seed that crushes the head of the serpent. And so we see the fulfillment in our Blessed Lady of this passage. But there is enmity between her and the serpent. There can be nothing in common. They can't have any link, any relation whatsoever. So our Blessed Lady, born immaculate, without the stain of sin, from her very conception, has enmity between her and Satan. Nothing in common. There is nothing there. She has no sin because she has enmity between her and the serpent. Not of her own doing, not of her own grace, of her own merit, but of the grace and the will of God. Jesus Christ, born without sin, takes on his human nature from Mary. His nature is perfect, so she must have been perfect. Born immaculate. As we read in Luke's gospel, when the angel Gabriel comes from the very face of God, this is a God that's often referred to as being a refiner's fire, a fire, a love so deep and so pure and so strong that it refines us, it purifies us. Gabriel came from the face of God down to this little girl. And he faces her and he says, Hail, full of grace. The Greek word is kekari tomene. It's a critical word. you got to understand this one. It's important. Two things. One, it refers to she was always full of grace. She is full of grace and she will always be full of grace. So there's a timeline inferred in just this one Greek word. So that's referring to her immaculate conception from birth and way beyond death from all into all eternity. She is full of God's grace. 
Second, the angel refers to her as full of grace. But he uses it like a title. Kind of like if we were to say, All hail the President of the United States. Instead, he says, Hail, full of grace. You are the full of grace. You'll notice every time in Scripture when an angel appears to somebody, people get scared. <laughs> they fall down, they prostrate themselves, they get nervous, they don't know what to do. Well, why is that? Because these angels stand before God. Moses, when he communicated with the Lord in the tent of meeting, his face shined like the sun, so much so that it scared the Israelites and the Israelites forced him to wear a veil. Jesus was on top of a mountain. He began to shine like the sun, making Peter very, very nervous. The angel appears to the shepherds in the field, which we're going to read about here very shortly. And they get all nervous and scared. And what do they say? Peace be with you. Don't worry. Be at peace. They come in peace. And so it's pretty critical that we see this image of an angel. Let's even picture him as being fiery, even though he's an angel. He comes from the very face of God, pure, shining. And yet he refers to this little girl as the highly favored one, the full of grace, the grace of God himself, giving her a free choice to accept the will of God or her role in her life. But you know, <laughs> I'm so sorry, Angel. Uh, I had some plans. You know, I was going to go to university and I was going to get myself a job and make lots of money. I really don't have time for the whole uh, savior of the world thing, but uh, thanks for asking. No. Unlike you and me, when we think of ourselves all the time, no, Mary, who is born without sin, freely accepts, freely ascends to the will of God. Let it be done to me according to thy word. And so she accepts this gift from God to bear this child, Yahshua, he will save his people. And she becomes Theotokos, the God-bearer. She bears the Savior of the world to the world. And just like when Moses met the burning bush and he was told to take off his sandals because the dirt on which he stood was holy, how much more holy is the womb of our Blessed Lady, purified by God himself, for the glory of God, not for herself. That's why she's humble, but yet still immaculately conceived. O blessed lady, bearing your son to us, bringing him to us, just as the prophecies told us, just as those Old Testament texts brought to light and that we can now dive deep on. In Genesis chapter 22, we saw there on the mountain with Abraham and his son, as his son was bound and placed on the wood for the sacrifice. And just as Abraham is coming down with a knife, an angel stops him and tells him, Don't touch the lad, for God himself will provide the lamb, which, tur which turned out to be on that very mountain that Jesus was crucified, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And who tells us this but John the Baptist? 
the one who comes in the spirit of Elijah. And we have so many texts that tell us of this, that prophesy that he was to come in the spirit of Elijah. For example, in Malachi chapter 3, Behold, I send my messenger to prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant in wisdom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver till they present right offerings to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. He's sending one, a messenger to prepare the way. That's Elijah. He's going to purify the Levites. Who? The priests like silver and gold. That's a lot like St. Paul in 1 Corinthians. Purifying. Silver, gold, wood, hay, stubble. These are references to the temple. Outside of the temple was an altar where you made burnt offerings. What was burned up there? Besides the animal, of course, the sacrifice. But wood, straw, stubble, hay... Yes, these are things that were burned up at that altar. What was inside the temple? As you get further into the temple, the closer to the Holy of Holies, what do you see? Precious stones, silver, brass, bronze, gold. So the further in you get, the more purified it becomes. These are earthly realities that signify spiritual truths. Real truths, not fake truths, not just some mystical thing. No, 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 no. What we have here on earth is a shadow of the real. What That's what's in heaven. So what's in heaven is we are entering further and further into God himself, which is more pure than we can imagine. It's perfectly pure. And so we too must be purified. So God in Malachi 3 tells us of the day when he sends someone to make straight the paths, to prepare the way for the Messiah to come, who will purify the priests and make the offering that they offer right. And actually, if you look at Malachi 1, in verse 11, it even talks of that offering that will come that day. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name is great among the nations, and in every place incense is offered to my name, and a pure offering for my name is great among the nations, says the Lord. If you skip ahead to Malachi chapter 4, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the land with a curse. So God has been telling us all along, go back. Genesis 22. Go back to Isaiah 7, 14 and see how God sent his messenger to the king of Israel asking him to ask God for a sign. A sign will be provided. Oh yes. And that sign is a woman. 
just not just any woman, but a young woman, not just any young woman, but a virgin who shall bear a child. And his name will be Emmanuel. And Emmanuel is God with us. This is the sign that we should all be looking for. This is the salvation history, the economy of God's salvation through time that he has been telling us from the very beginning. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. We see that played out all the way in the other end of the book. Revelations chapter 12. Behold, a great portent appeared in the sky, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. That is Mary, bodily in heaven. And what do we see in that chapter? Read it. It's very important. The dragon, Satan, as we are told, the serpent of old is chasing her because she's in travail. She's bearing forth the Savior of the world, Jesus. And just as the dragon wants to swoop down and snatch up our Lord, he goes into heaven and defeats the, defeats the dragon because the dragon can no longer get to him. And so what does the dragon do? He turns towards the woman to devour her. But there's enmity between her and that serpent. And she is taken to a place that's prepared for her, her immaculate conception, her free from the stain of all sin, the all-holy as the Eastern Fathers call her. She's taken to this safe place where the dragon can't get to her. So what does the dragon do? He turns to hunt the rest of us down, those who are her children, by following her real son, Jesus Christ. He's turned to us, and he's devouring us because we don't rely on the Blessed Virgin to take us to her son, Jesus Christ, the child lying in a manger, the Savior of the world, whose birth was foretold millennia before it ever happened. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in travail has brought forth, then the rest of his brethren shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. That's Micah chapter 5, starting in verse 2. So go back. Go back through all the Old Testament passages and reread them and soak them up and look for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the coming of the Savior of the entire world, one whom the lowest of lows will come and adore, and the shepherds, and the Gentiles and the pagans will also come and adore the Magi, prostitutes, tax collectors, Publicans, they all come, all but the righteous. Let's not be the righteous. Instead, let's be like John the Baptist, who tomorrow will say that I am not even worthy to hold his sandal strap. That he must increase and I must decrease. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And our Blessed Lady, who says, Let it be done to me according to thy word. 
for I am the handmaid of the Lord. Or how about, my soul magnifies the Lord, for he has done great things for me, for he is my Savior. So let's be like John the Baptist, and let's be like our Blessed Lady, and let's be humble, observant of the will of God in our lives, and let's say yes when others will say no. Let's take action when others refuse to act. Let's be alive with the glory of God when everyone around us is dead. Let's all look forward and long for the advent of our Lord. Once again, thank you so much, Sean, for inviting me to participate in the Advent Calendar, and I hope you've enjoyed it. Stop by my website at www.catholichack.com for more. And be sure to listen for the Advent special on the Catholic Hack, which I'll dive deeper into a lot more of these verses, and I'll reveal the link between Daniel chapter 9 and the Advent, the birth of our Lord, instead of his death. So listen for that, all on the Catholic Hack at www.catholichack.com. Thanks once again. I'm praying for you, so I pray that you'll pray for me too. Until next time, God bless you. SQPN, the best in Catholic podcasting.